Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, welcome uh, to College Hill Presbyterian Church. Uh, my name is Daryl Davis, and I'm the uh, assistant pastor of worship and community outreach here at College Hill. And on behalf of uh, Drew Smith, I especially want to welcome those of you who are gathering by uh, Facebook Live, YouTube, or whatever way you may be gathering on your streaming devices today. Uh, we here at College Hill, uh, we exist to honor God by growing a diverse community of Jesus followers. And you have only to look around at our, our church and to see that we are a God-honoring uh, church. This morning, uh, we're going to be talking about, uh, in our message, leadership and what it means to, to say yes to leadership. We're going to be looking at uh, Jesus and the life of Jesus and defining leadership around uh, three key uh, principles that Jesus lived out in his life. We're going to then look at, at Moses and how uh, God worked through Moses, even with some of those same principles. And then we're going to look at a contemporary uh, leader this morning, uh, York Schmidt, our missionary who answered that call that Carl was singing about, who said, yes, I will go where you want me uh, to go. So let's bow our heads, if you would, and I'll open up in prayer uh, for this part of our time. Uh, gracious God, we thank you so much uh, today for your goodness. God, I thank you for, uh, for Jorg and, uh, and Lisa, uh, for their call to say yes uh, to serve uh, the Muslim community and to reach out and to share your love and your goodness. God, I thank you for all of our global workers as they're serving all over the world, for those in particular who are, who are reaching and dealing with uh, the Afghans right now in their state. God, we pray and we remember those who are struggling still in Haiti from that great catastrophe. God, we look even in our own country and we, we thank you for the work that you're doing, even through ministries like Matthew 25 in New Orleans, as people are still grieving there. God, even in our own midst, even in the midst of the pain that we have experienced as a result of loss, of loved ones here uh, from various means. We still look and we know that you are good. And we thank you for that goodness. To God, uh, we honor you this morning with our time of worship. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to, to guide us and to lead us this morning in our time of study and looking at uh, your word this morning. In Christ's name, everyone said. Amen. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, a leader is a man or a woman who knows where where he's going. A leader is a if, if he's following Jesus, a leader is a man who knows where he's going and can inspire others to go with him, leading them to leadership. A leader knows where he's going and can inspire others to go with him, leading them to leadership. I call it the three-prong approach uh, to leadership. It's the method uh, that we see lived out in the life of Jesus and Moses. And I, I can tell you for certain it's, it's the method we see lived out even in the life of Jorgen Lisa Smith. That three-prong approach is this. It's, it's that we need to know where we're going. Uh, we need to inspire others to go with us. And we need to lead those who follow us, who we inspire, to leadership. Do you know where you're going? Are you inspiring others to go with you? And are you leading them to leadership? Uh, the most important thing I'd like to share with you this, this morning is that we're all called uh, to be leaders. In fact, leaders themselves make the best followers. And so while we may not be in positional, authoritative states of leadership, all of us are called to lead in our own spheres of influence. Uh, we encourage and we challenge our young people to lead in school and to, to take a stand for Christ and to make the right decisions and even to lead their peers in the right path versus being led down the wrong path. We, uh, we, we, we want to be leaders in our home. Those of you who are, who are married, 
women, you lead in your home. Uh, you even lead your husbands in ways uh, that they can also follow Jesus. And husbands, you also in turn lead your wives in ways that they can follow in the ways of Christ. All of us have been called in one way or another uh, to be leaders who, who know where we're going and can inspire others to go with us, leading them to leadership. And so the question we have today is do you know where you're going when it comes to leadership? Now, when we think about knowing where we're going, the first thought typically comes around the idea of direction, uh, about a particular destination and knowing where we're going. But in fact, knowing where we're going also has a lot to do with where we're going in our hearts and our minds and in our spirits. Where Where is it that we want people to go when we gather in this space for worship? I imagine that Mike in his preparation had an idea of where he wanted the congregation to go in its expression of worship this morning and led us there, inspiring us to in turn worship. Uh, and so now we also take that same mandate out and to inspire those in our community uh, to worship as well. A leader knows where he's going and can inspire others to go with him, leading them to leadership. And so the question is, what kind of fruit do you want to see? What desired outcomes uh, that you wish to see in those uh, who you lead. Uh, we know that Jesus was the master leader, right? Jesus came and, and he knew why he came. Remember, it says this, uh, that Jesus came to do what? He came to seek and to save the lost, to find and to rescue those who were lost and outside of the kingdom of God. That, that's what he came for. But, but not only that, but Jesus came knowing where it would ultimately lead him to the cross. That was his destination. And that, and so, and so for Jesus, we know that he, he was, in, he, he was uh, responsible not only to, to inspire us to follow him, but he was also to remind us that there was a destination, an ultimate destination in order to redeem mankind, to restore mankind back in relationship to the Father. His destination was the cross. Jesus was a leader who knew where he was going. He inspired others to go with him, leading them to leadership. We simply need to look at his disciples to know that Jesus was a leader who knew where he was going. He constantly said to those who he encountered, follow me. Follow me is what he said. And that leads us to our next point. That leads us, Jesus was a leader who inspired others to go with him. Now, we live in a society where it's easy to think that uh, because we have authoritative positional leadership, uh, that that's all it takes, that we can just simply tell people uh, to go where we're going. But Jesus inspired people to follow him, leading them uh, to leadership. And we know just looking back in history that not only did he inspire large crowds who came, some came because they believed, some came because they were doubters, and others just came to see a great show. But ultimately, he was an inspirational leader who, who called those to follow him, not, not because he, he displayed his great uh, heavenly power, but because he walked in the Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the way uh, he led others. Jesus was a leader who knew where he was going. He inspired others to go with him. And finally, the next step here is that he led others to leadership. I love that point because we see in the life of Jesus that he said, even when he, when he, when he led to the very end, uh, Jesus was the one who said, I'm going to go away, but when I go away, I'm also going to send you a comforter, one who would lead you and guide you into all truth. I, I think about our church and I look around and I see other great leaders that we have here in our congregation. Uh, the other week I was uh, in our contemporary worship center and I was watching as I was looking out and I saw Alan, our sound guy, leading in the back at the control booth operating uh, the, the soundboard. But what really impressed me most, most is when I saw Alan walk away and I saw young Kyle walk up to the soundboard. What impressed me was week after week when I see Alan who's away and I see Matthew Dunford or Alan uh, 
uh, calling young people like like Kyle to step up and to lead in such miraculous ways and make uh, make what needs to happen happen in our contemporary worship gathering. Alan is a leader who knows where he's going, uh, but he inspired those young people to go with him, leading them now uh, to leadership. I notice that when I see uh, Sam Mock leading out uh, with the streaming streaming ministry. Time of worship, and, and I was no longer looking down at the keys. And, and one of the young people uh, that Sam Mock happens to lead in streaming was back there on the computer, and he looked over at me and said, "Hey, Daryl, Daryl, look, you, you're, you're not following along with the slides." I had my eyes closed, my hands were lifted, and I was caught into the music, <laughs> and I didn't realize that I was was not going along. And so the slide—I don't know where the slides were, but I know that I was not doing my job. Uh, the good thing is that, that young Dumford, he didn't, he didn't say, well, no, Daryl's the assistant pastor. He's the one uh, that's in charge of this thing. No, he led up and reminded me of my responsibility uh, to do my job. Uh, one of my great uh, all-time uh, writers is John Maxwell, and he read a, wrote a great book called 360-Degree uh, Leadership. And what it talks about is the fact that no matter where you are positionally, no matter what your role is in an organization or a church, we are all called to lead one another in the right way that we should go. So what that means for me is that, that there are those of you who still speak into my life. And what it means for me is that there are young people like young Dumford who sat there and said, hey, you need to do your job. You need to do it better. That's what it means to be a community of believers who, who know where we're going and like Sam Mock and like Alan inspire others to go with us and then lead them uh, to leadership. Uh, one of the important things that Jesus said in John 14, 12 through 14, is he said this, I tell you the truth, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus is saying that they'll do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus was a reproducing leader. As I, as I speak to my peers, my fellow workers here on staff, and, and we talk about our roles and our responsibilities to lead, unless we are reproducing leaders and we're not being effective leaders here at our congregation at all. So, so the question for us as leaders is who are, who are the leaders that we're bringing along, that we're, we're inspiring, that, that we're coaching and helping to mentor so that they too uh, can walk in their place of leadership in the church. As I begin to think about the reproducing uh, nature of Jesus Christ himself, I think about what he did with his disciples when he called them to follow him. You see, I think the greatest tool for growing the church is the tool that Jesus used when he inspired those who followed him and led them to leadership. Uh, what Jesus did was he, he gave responsibility. He called and gave responsibility to those who didn't even fully knew who he was yet. And so he led them to leadership even before they had any idea that he really truly was the very son of God. Jesus led those who we would might consider today as lost people, employed them in his service so that they followed him and led them to leadership. And then about two years later, he sat down with them and said, hey, guys, you know, who do you who do you say I am? It, it was after they, they had walked with him and talked with him and after he had led them and after they had actually even done the work of the ministry that he finally said to them, guys, who, do, do you really know who I really am? And so what we, we've got it backwards way too often in the church here. What we want to do is we want to wait until they're steeped in godliness. We want to wait until they've after completed CHPC 1 and CHPC 2, CHPC 3, 4, and 5. And then we say, well, now uh, you can serve at the door as an usher. You can hand out a, a bulletin or serve coffee. I, I'm excited about a church, our church right now, that is engaging those who don't even know Christ 
even now in the beginning stage of following Jesus, one day someone will ask him, perhaps it'll be you or, or another member in our church, do you really know who Jesus is? Do you know who the one is that, that you're standing up and you're singing about when, you, when you're standing out there in the congregation? That's what it means uh, to be a follower of Christ. Jesus knew where he was going. He inspired those who followed him and then he led them to leadership. I remember uh, years ago as a church planter, uh, I, I led a, a small church plant here in our city in Westchester. We were about 100 people in our church plant. And that's because I counted the people who were running along the track on Sunday mornings uh, nearby uh, in order for our account to be what it was. But, but we were a small, just growing community of, of Jesus followers. And I remember uh, we, we had a hard time initially growing our worship band. And so uh, my daughter, Hope, uh, reached out on Craigslist and she found this bass player. Oh, no, actually, he was a drummer. Uh, his name was Bam. You probably wouldn't know anything about Bam Bam from the Flintstones because that's a different generation. Uh, but, but his name was Bam and he was a drummer. And I remember reaching out and talking to Bam, just trying to find out where he was in his walk with Christ. And, and he told me, well, Daryl, here's a, I don't really know a whole lot about church and Jesus, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to start bringing my family to church with me on Sunday morning. Now, I knew instantly that, that Bam had no relationship with Jesus. And then I also knew that he was going to be playing drums with our worship band on Sunday morning. A few of our people, our church leaders who had been steeped in godliness for a long time, came up to me and said, Hey, Daryl, we really don't know about that guy, Bam. We caught him out back before service, smoking on one of those cigarettes. I think it was the legal kind. But he was standing out back smoking a cigarette. And, Daryl, we just don't know about people like that serving in the church. We really don't know what he's doing and what his life is all about. And and then I said, You know what? As As I think about it and I look up on the stage... I really don't know much about the life of all the other people who are singing and leading and and serving in the church. I don't even know what they're doing all week long either. You see, what we do way too often is we look at those who are steeped in godliness, who who have the appearance, who smile as I do on Sunday morning, and and we think somehow God loves us more than he loves those who we consider to be lost people in the world today. Jesus knew where he was going, and he he inspired a following, even those who were who were the rough and the tough, those who who like were like Peter, who were who were who were given to to rage at times, so those who were tax collectors and who who had unscrupulous ways about. He, he allowed them to be able to follow him and serve him, and then he challenged him to know who he was and lead them to a place of leadership. Jesus built the church by engaging and giving responsibility to the unchurched people. And too often we want to build a church by trying to stir up those who are already in the household of faith. So I'm excited when I talk to to Barb and to Catherine. And then on Sunday morning, I I see them reaching out to people who are first and second time guests here at College Hill Presbyterian Church. And they're saying, hey, would you mind just standing with me on Sunday morning and handing out a bulletin next week? Could you give just 10 or 15 minutes to serve with us on a Sunday morning? It would be much easier for them to go to one of you or to, to another person here in our community of faith. But they're following the model of Jesus. They're inspiring others, even those who don't know him, to follow them, leading them to leadership. A leader is a man or a woman who knows where he's going and can inspire others to go with him, leading them to leadership. Talked about Jesus and now we want to talk about Moses. Moses is, is, is seen as one of the, the great leaders of all times. You can, you can hear great things about Moses from those who are Jewish and just many other religions. People look to Moses as one of the greatest leaders of all times. But I believe he's still following the same leadership principles. 
We learn from Moses one key distinction that separates leaders who lead in the church, those of us who are Christians, from those who are secular leaders in the, in the community world today. And I can tell you honestly, if we're really honestly looking at the very uh, principles and excellence around leadership, there aren't a lot of difference between those who lead in the marketplace and those who lead well in the church, except for one distinct thing. In fact, we can learn a lot if we really want to be good leaders from those who are serving in the marketplace, even if we don't, don't know where they are with Christ, except for there's one key distinction that Moses had that separates those. And that's this. Moses had faith. And trust in God, even when he couldn't see what God was doing. Moses had trust and faith in God, even when he didn't know fully and couldn't see clearly uh, what God was doing. When I think about Moses, I think about a leader who understood what it means to lead under pressure. Can you imagine Moses as he stood there, mounted on the left side, mounted on the the right side, Red Sea before him, a great vast body of water, uh, Pharaoh's Egyptian army on his six, closing in hard and fast. Can you imagine as he sat there and stood among the people who were, who, who were, who were complaining and now afraid and, and now Moses was called upon to lead the people of God where they needed to go. Moses knew what it meant, what it means to be a leader who leads under pressure, who has faith and trust in God, even when he can't see the way. Now, in truth, most of what I, I learned about Moses, uh, I, I, can, I can honestly say, if it, is it okay to confess in church? Okay. So I can tell you that, that a lot of what I learned about Moses, it came when I was a kid, and I learned it from the Cecil, is it Cecil B. DeMille movie about, I, it's just the way it was. I can't remember the main actor who played in it, Charlton Heston, is that right? Oh, boy. Most of what I learned about Moses, I learned from my dad, and we sat down and we watched that movie year after year. Uh, I think it was around Easter or Christmas, one of those great holidays. And that's back when you had three channels, 9, 10, 12. And if you were really good, you, you could get channel 19. But I remember learning about this great leader, Moses, and, 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 and I saw how that he was raised. And you guys know the story. It, it's a biblical story of, of, of epic proportions. I, I challenge people who don't know Christ to read the story of Moses. There are some things about it that I don't get, but there's so much about it that's rich in what it means to follow God even into the unknown. Remember, he was raised in the household of Pharaoh in Egypt. He went to the best schools. Even though he was, he was a Hebrew, he was, he was a, a, of Jewish descent, he was raised in, the, in an Egyptian environment with the best tutors. The Harvard of the day, in fact, is where he was raised and, and taught. For 40 years, he, he grew in wisdom and knowledge around all the world systems from the best of the best all around the world at that time. Now, somewhere along the lines in his first uh, 40 years, though, he began to recognize who he was. We know from Scripture that he began to recognize that there's something different, <clears throat> not so much about his national heritage, but I think there was something different that he recognized taking place in his heart. If you know the story, uh, one day he, he got ahead of God. He, he knew where God wanted to go, somewhere inside deep in his heart, but he got ahead of God. He saw uh, an Egyptian uh, ruler uh, striking a Hebrew, and so Moses looked to the left, the Bible says, he looked to the right, make sure the coast was clear, and then he reached out and he got a hold to the Egyptian. The Bible says he killed him and he buried him in the sand. And Moses had the right concept, but he had the wrong timing. A leader who knows where he's going can inspire others to go with him, who leads others to leadership. He understands that timing is everything. She understands that timing is everything. 
And so for the first 40 years, we see Moses in that state where he's developing, he's growing. And then we see that great act where he got ahead of God. And then uh, for the next 40 years, he found himself on the backside of the desert, out into the wilderness, uh, a fugitive, a murdering fugitive, hiding. He changed his identity, changed his appearance. And there he was outside uh, on the household, outside of the household of faith, hiding out in the wilderness, trying to again realize uh, who he was and what God, if God wanted to do anything in his life. Uh, the great uh, teacher D.L. Moody from Chicago uh, said this about Moses. He said, uh, for his first 40 years, uh, Moses thought he was a somebody, right? And then for the next 40 years, because Moses lived to be 120, for the next 40 years, he realized as he was out there on, on the run that he was a nobody. And then for the next 40 years, he realized what God can do when a nobody surrenders himself to somebody. And so each and every one of us, we find ourselves either in one of those positions or another. There are times when we think we are somebody, and then then, then God will allow us, if we follow him, uh, to realize that, in fact, we really are nobodies. Except for God has a special way of using nobodies. So Moses now, as the story goes on, he finds himself uh, sort of between a rock and a hard place. Have you ever been in a state where you followed Jesus, where you were obedient uh, to lead people out? Remember, remember, God came along and said, Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'm leading my people out of Egypt and I will lead them into the promised land. Have you ever followed God and gone into a place and now all of a sudden you find yourself in a difficult situation, a difficult circumstance where you just don't know what your next move is? move is. Moses found himself in such a place, a leader who understood what it meant to lead under pressure. And so now there he is. You, you know the story well. He's parked against the Red Sea. Pressure on this side, pressure on the, that side, pressure from the back, nowhere to go in the middle. And the question is, is, is Moses going to remember the word of the Lord that says, I will be with you. I will guide you. And I will be the deliverer who will not only take you out, but will bring you into that rich land, the promised land. This morning, let's take a look at that passage real quick in the book of Exodus. I'll first read you the initial call when God came to Moses in Exodus 3, chapter 7 through 10. Now, if you're here and you don't know the Bible, that's okay. Uh, Exodus is the book of the Bible that's second. It follows the book called Genesis, which is the first book, uh, book of the Bible in the Old Testament. And so let's go ahead and let's read in Exodus chapter 3, 7 through 10. I'm reading this from the message. And so God said, he's talking to Moses. God says, Moses, I've taken a good long look at the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries for deliverance from their slave masters. I know all about their pain, and now I have come down to help them. Who came down to help them? Who said they were going to come down to help them? Yeah, and now I've come down to help them, pry them loose from the grip of Egypt, Get them out of that country and bring them into a good land with wide open spaces, a land lush with milk and honey, the land of the Kenite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Pezzarite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Verse 9, the Israelite cry for help has come to me, and I've seen for myself how cruelly they are being treated by the Egyptians. And then I love this next part. It says, it's time for you to go back. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. I don't know if you saw what transpired there, but as we see in the earlier verses, if we look back a little bit, God says, I will come down and I will help them. And then he goes on, if you look at the verse there in verse 10, he says, but I'm going to send you. I looked and I saw that passage and it just jumped out at me. God has a way of saying that he's going to deliver his people, but guess who he's going to use? He's going to use you and he's going to use me. 
Still the same call today. And so now let's go to Exodus 14, 5 through 16. And let's look at uh, that great uh, day uh, when Moses led the people to the promised land to the, across the Red Sea. Exodus 14, 5 through 16. When the king of Egypt was told that the people were gone, he and his servants changed their minds. They said, what have we done letting Israel, our slave labor, go free? And so what happened in the story is that, that God came to Moses in the beginning there in, in Exodus 3. And then he actually came again in Exodus 6, saying that I'm going to free my people from the great bondage, the slavery that they're entangled with in Egypt. I'm going to set them free. And now here in chapter 14, uh, Pharaoh said, okay, I'm going to let these guys go. I'm going to release them and let them go on their way. And there's a whole lot of stuff along the way that you have to read. Uh, and I want you to read that for yourself. And then now, the people of Israel have already walked out into the desert. They've already gone out with this attitude that they're not even going to look back. And so, and so Pharaoh now in Egypt says, man, what have we done? What have we done letting Israel, our slave labor, go free? You see, what happened, there were two, almost the Bible tells us, and, and we read through history, there were about two million people then who were the Israelites, who were the main slave labor for the people in Egypt. And so Pharaoh realized, boy, what are we going to do with our economy if our workers are gone? So he had his chariots harnessed up. He got his army together. He took 600 of his best chariots with the rest of the Egyptian chariots and their drivers coming along. Verse 8. God made Pharaoh, king of Egypt, stubborn, determined to chase the Israelites as they walked out on him without even looking back. I love that. I love that. They walked out without even looking back. The Egyptians gave chase and caught up with them where they had made camp by the sea. All Pharaoh's horse drawn chariots and their riders, all of his foot soldiers were there at Pyroth opposite Baal-Zephon. Verse 10, as Moses, as Pharaoh approached, excuse me, the Israelites looked up and they saw them, Egyptians coming at them. I love this next part. They were totally afraid. They were totally afraid. And then they cried out in terror to God. They told Moses, weren't the cemeteries large enough in Egypt so that you had to take us out here in the wilderness to die? What have you done to us, taking us out to Egypt? Back in Egypt, didn't we tell you this would happen? Didn't we tell you, leave us alone here in Egypt. We're better off as slaves in Egypt than as corpse in the wilderness. I want us to stop there for a minute because this, this is a great picture of what happens too often uh, when we don't, we, we don't remember the promises of God. You'll notice when they were terrified and, uh, and had hearts of great fear that they cried out to God. But in the very next breath, what they did after crying out to God was they turned to Moses and they began to criticize, uh, to backbite, to, to, to put Moses down and to talk about uh, with great sarcasm how he, in fact, was the one that brought them out. When really God told them long ago that he was the one that was doing it. What have you done to us, they said, taking us out of Egypt? Verse 13. This is the part I love. Moses spoke to the people, don't be afraid, stand firm and watch God do his work of salvation for you today. Don't be afraid, he said, stand firm and watch God do his work of salvation for you today. Take a good look at the Egyptians today for you're, you're, for you're never going to see them again. And then verse 14, God will fight the battle for you. God will fight the battle for you. So when your back's against the wall, who's going to fight the battle for you? When, there, when there's trouble on your left and trouble on your right, and when, when the enemy's closing in hard and fast, God will fight the battle for you. And then I love this next part. And you keep your mouth shut. That, 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 that sounds rude, I know, but, but he said, 
God's going to fight the battle, but you guys, you just keep your mouth shut. Keep your, you know the old statement, loose lips sink what? Yeah, keep your mouths shut. In other words, if you're going to be, if you're really going to allow God to be able to fight the battle for you, then what you don't want to do is to abort the very process of God by doubt and unbelief and by criticizing and complaining and talking about uh, out of fear and how bad it was. Moses said, hey, listen, guys, God will fight the battle, but here's what you need to do. Keep your mouth shut. I love verse 15 because then God said, Moses, why cry out to me? Speak to the Israelites, order them to get moving. What's interesting here in that passage, 14, 15, and 16, is that the people who are obviously complaining and Moses speaks to them and says, hey, shut your mouths, keep your, keep your mouths closed. And then, and then God, uh, God hears from Moses because somewhere along the line, Moses is crying out to God. And then God says, hey, listen, Moses, why are you crying out to me? Why are you praying to me? Why are you talking to me when I've already given you my promise? Why are you crying out to me when I've already given you the command? Go forward and get moving. Now, sometimes as I, as I consider where we are as a church, I wonder if too often we don't know the value of just closing our mouths and walking and going the way that God wants us to go. I wonder what would happen in the lives of Jorg and Lisa Smith if they just looked at their situation oftentimes and, and the hard uh, work that they do overseas and said, oh, this is just not, oh, this is, this is tough stuff. I don't even know how we got this way. What, what would happen if they didn't know how to close their mouths and just look and see uh, what God can do with a man and a woman who knows where he's going and can inspire others to go with him, leading them to leadership? God says to Moses, man, why are you crying out to me? Speak to the Israelites. Order them to get moving. Order them to get moving. Hold your staff, stretch your hand out over the sea, split the sea. The Israelites will walk through the sea on dry ground. I want you to go home if you if you don't know this story well and just read this for yourself. Oh man, you'll need to get the popcorn out and the the, the candy. This this is just a great story of God and God doing his great work. The story goes on that the God's people walk through the walls of water are pushed back. They walk through on dry land. Uh, the bad guys come charging, hard charging in behind them. God's people walk through on dry land, come out on the other side, and all of a sudden, the waters come in and wipe them out. Uh, Mike Parker had the choir singing about it earlier today. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Beloved brothers and sisters, let me tell you, there's some things that God wants to do. There's some things that God can only do when he, when he has his people up against a wall where only he can cause them to go out on the other side. We, we don't like to be in that place, but there, there's a place that God wants to take us to that, that unless God comes through, then we utterly fail and look foolish. I can imagine the pressure that Moses must have felt there was he was trying to lead those who followed him to leadership, the millions of people who looked to him to go in the way that he needed to go, and all of a sudden, pressure, 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 and then God says, move out. It, it's a great story. If you read on through the book of Exodus, you, you'd come to Deuteronomy where where finally they're across on the other side. They, they're, they're singing a great song of victory. There's a song that we sing that, that, that we can sing in no other way than when we've come through a Red Sea experience. Now they're on the other side, and then a little bit further down the line, they find themselves right there on the precipice of entering into that promised land, the land of great promise. Oh, what a great story. You, you see, at that point now, Moses is ready to lead them into leadership. There were 12 spies, the Bible will tell you, that, that went into that promised land who came back and said, man, 
I don't know if we can do it. We, we need about two or three more years of planning and, and strategy. Those are big people in that land. And I don't know if we have what it takes to get inside and to do what God wants us to do. But there were two, the Bible tells us, Joshua and Caleb, who said, we believe the report of the Lord that, that we're well able to go in and take the land. It's easy for us to sit down and want to figure out all the details and to understand all of what it takes for us to walk into what God wants us to walk into. But we need to be people like Joshua and Caleb who say we, we who follow God are able to go in and possess all that God says we are called to possess. Now, spoiler alert, the bad news is that that whole generation of people who followed uh, Moses out of out of Egypt. Those who, who Moses was inspiring to, to lead and to go into leadership as he led Joshua and Caleb. The Bible says that none of them uh, were permitted to enter into the land of promise because of one thing, unbelief. Because they couldn't grasp the idea that God is who he says he is. God will do what he said he would do. Joshua and Caleb, however, were led into leadership. You can read it in the Bible for yourself. A leader is a man or a woman who knows where he or she is going and, and, and they inspire others to go with them, leading them to leadership. And we see that even in the life of Jesus and the life of Moses. And now I want to invite you uh, to open up your hearts and to hear how God is even lo- using a contemporary leader today. Uh, in a moment, Jorg is going to come forth uh, and he's going to share just about what God's doing among the Muslims. One of the fastest growing religions around the world, but yet in spite of the fast growth, there's a God who says, I can and I will. I don't know what kind of pressure uh, Jorg and Lisa must be experiencing, but I know that there are those of you who've been praying long before I even know who they were, praying that they're able to step up and to, to inspire and to encourage others to go into to the place that God wants them to be. I wonder how many of those, those Muslims don't know God yet, but, but yet they enjoy uh, what it means to sit with Jorg and Lisa around a meal. They criticize Jesus for sitting and hanging out with lost people. I wonder, as I get to know Jorg and Lisa, what their story is for hanging around those who don't know Jesus Christ. Jorg Smith. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. I'm happy to be here. Good to see you. Good to see those of you who I've known for many years, and good to see those of you who maybe don't know me. Um, yes, just for those who don't know me, I, Lisa... And I, we have lived in Arab countries for 25 years. We know the Arab language. But since uh, 2014, we live in Germany. And we live in a city called Heilbronn in the southwest. And um, and we minister there to Arab-speaking refugees. So we still speak almost as much Arabic every day there than we used to speak in the the countries where we live. lived before. And today I would like to tell you just one story about a family of five who uh, escaped from Baghdad and is now living in Germany and is, uh, there are now, not all of them, uh, but especially the parents and the younger children are excited about Christ. And so uh, it's a family of five. They have an elder son that is already 20 years old. And then they have two younger children, uh, six and uh, eight. And they were persecuted in Baghdad. They were not persecuted in Baghdad for their faith. They just wanted to live a normal, secular life. The woman, the wife, never liked to wear the headscarf, which uh, Muslims often require to wear. 
uh, and uh, and the husband had um, had a, a business where where he sold amongst other things secular music and Baghdad and Iraq as a whole is not really ruled by a, a strong government, but it's ruled by various militias. And these militias are often religious, and uh, they were very open towards Christ, and they wanted to know more. And he said, you know, I have this friend who is German, but he speaks really good Arabic, and you can actually, you should invite him, and you should uh, maybe study the Bible with him, then you can really learn. And so they did this, they invited me, introduced them, and they invited me. And so since then we had many, many meals at their house, and we always study the Bible and we pray. And um, I also went with them through some kind of a course, an audiovisual course, which we have on CDs, old-fashioned CDs. And uh, that is basically the story from creation to Christ, um, how God dealt with the prophets and how dealt with... Adam and Eve, and then of course it's a lot about Christ in the end, and it goes all the way to the uh, to the to the ch- uh, to the development of the church. Anyway, they absorbed all this. They became Christians very quickly. They said, "This is what we want. We want to follow Christ. We want to follow Him without conditions." They were very excited. They, it also changed, especially the emotional life of the lady. She was full of anxiety due to the um, difficulties they had in in Iraq, and uh, the anxiety calmed down. She slept much better. Um, even the younger kids, they picked up on this excitement. The, the young boy, especially, he knows where the power lies, that's how his father says. Uh, the power lies with, with Christ, and, and he believes in prayer. And he asks, can we pray for this? Can we pray for this? And so on. And um, so also the husband is open about his face, very open. He witnesses to other Arabs in the region uh, or in, in his uh, environment. Uh, but there also is a problem with this to some degree. He's very open, but he's also aggressive. Uh, this couple has the uh, difficulty that because they have the bad experience, they are now very much uh, in rejection. They reject their own culture. They reject their own Islamic, Iraqi, Muslim, the Arab Muslim culture. They reject this from the depths of their heart. And uh, that comes close to hating the culture which they used to be part of. And that is not, unhealthy, that is not a healthy uh, situation to be in when you walk with Christ and when you witness to others. So when the, the uh, Jamal witnesses to other Arabs, he often does that not so much that he that he talks about the love of Christ which he has experienced and the power of Christ which he does experience, but he, he attacks the lifestyle and the, and the thinking of the Islamic people. And uh, that can often be, lead to negative results. So for this couple, they also have uh, recognized that they said, actually, we felt all the way from Baghdad to to Germany, we felt somehow somebody is protecting us and somebody is leading us. They, in retrospect, noticed that even though we weren't believers then and we didn't really know what it was to follow Christ, but it was already that Christ had led us uh, on our journey to Germany, which we, but we didn't recognize this, but now we know. And um, I, of course, have my dreams for this couple. 
Um, this couple is a, it's a stable family. Um, the, it's a stable family. They had already a good marriage, I think, before they f- followed Christ. But this is a real couple. They love each other. They love their children. Uh, they are really tight, a tight family, a good family. I don't see any conflicts in them. Um, and that is a very good thing. And so what I hope for the future is that first they open their house. They open their house for non-believers to, more, to do more Bible studies and that they open their house also for many of the Iraqi believers who are there as single men. Some of them are single men because they're really not married. Others, they are single men because their families are still in Iraq. But it would be a very good thing if there is a, a stable family like this starts to open their house and uh, for believers and unbelievers. They also have a lot of leadership uh, potential. They're very qualified people. But uh, when it comes to faith and when it comes to maturity. But uh, two things, I believe, have to happen uh, before they can really become leaders and, beca- and have this, this, uh, this position as an exemplary couple, as an exemplary family. And that is, they have to deal with the issue of the rejection of their own culture. The primary driving force, I feel, must be in the life of every believer, the love towards Christ, the excitement about Christ, and the love towards our neighbors. And that must be also their primary driving, driving force, especially the love towards the people who, of course, some of them have harmed them in the, in the past. Uh, and the second thing that has to happen is they have to integrate. The oldest son is integrating well, but he's not a believer. Um, but the couple, uh, the father and the mother, they struggle with the language. They do learn slowly, slowly, and they have to, they have to get the language and they have to find a job. They have to stand on their own feet. If they don't stand on their own feet, if they continue to live on government handouts, then it's difficult to be an example, and it's difficult to lead also. But if they come to that point where they really can establish themselves, be part of the German society also, then I believe there is high potential. Thank you. And I hand back to Pastor Davis. Thank you, Jörg. Man, let's, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer, if you would.